There's another one of the beautiful Getty songs, which I love so much, uh, along with In Christ Alone and several others, Resurrection Hymn, His Mercy is More, which we've sang here before. Children, it's Mr. Junior Church at this point, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We've got two sermons left in Philippians, and so today we're going to look at Philippians 4, verses 14 through 18, here in just a moment. Uh, by way of introduction, though, I have something somewhat humorous. A few pastors went out uh, fishing together, and they were out there fishing, and there were three of them, and they thought, you know, it's just three of us here. Let's just confess, just confidentially, right now, with the three of us gathered right now, it'll stay confidential right here. What are our, our secret sins that we deal with? And the first one thought, okay, it's staying right here. What happens with the pastors in the fishing boat stays with the pastors in the fishing boat. And so the first one said, oh, you know, my, my secret sin is gambling. I just love to gamble and whether it's buy lottery tickets or go out and play Texas Hold'em or whatever he was gambling. And he thought, okay, now it's your turn. And so the second one said, my secret sin is, is lying. I have been lying on my taxes every year for many, many years. And that's, that's my secret sin. Well, it came time for the third one to confess his secret sin. And he was kind of quiet. He said, no, 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 I don't know I'm going to do this. And then they kept getting on him. Oh, no, 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 we, we agreed to this. You got to do it too. You can't just hear our things and, and not confess yours. So the third one eventually talked and he said, my secret sin is gossip. And I can't wait to get out of this boat. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily relate to the sermon, but it certainly does relate to the Christian life, doesn't it? Well, here's a story that connects with the sermon a little bit more. As Christmas was approaching quickly, a young man started thinking about what he could give his father who lived far away. His father lived far away, and he wanted to get a meaningful Christmas gift for his father. He wanted to get him something special, something that would manifest how much he valued him. He looked around and found something he thought would be unique, special, and unusual. So he got his father an exotic parakeet. It was so unique that it could speak five different languages and it could sing the yellow rose of Texas standing on one leg. <laughs> it was a most unusual bird. He thought to himself that his father would surely think a bird like this was extra special. In addition, it cost $10,000. This guy thought for sure that this most unique bird would show his father how much he loved him. He purchased a bird and he had it shipped to his father. He could not wait to hear his dad's response to this most phenomenal gift. He called his father on Christmas Day. He said, Dad, did you get my gift? His father said, I certainly did, son. The man said, well, dad, how did you like it? His dad replied, oh, it was delicious. <laughs> His dad obviously missed the point. He didn't understand the nature of the gift, and because he didn't understand the nature of the gift, he treated it in a way other than that was to be utilized. 
Unfortunately, many Christians also miss the point of the gift we receive. The gift of Jesus' life shed on the cross for us. We'll come back to that as we talk about the sermon today and Paul's gratitude for the Philippians. We're really focusing on Paul's gratitude for the Philippians' gift. But never forget, Jesus has shed blood on the cross for us. Never forget to be grateful for, for what he did for us, for our life in him, for the power of the cross. We're going to look at Philippians 4 and talk about Paul's gratitude for the Philippians. You know, let's look at the context first. In the previous verses, Paul wrote about knowing how to live on less. Paul wrote about how he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And in context, Philippians 4, 10 through 13, it was about suffering and how he could suffer through Christ who strengthens him. Let me ask you a pointed question. Do you ever pray about your suffering? I don't mean when you are suffering. We all pray when we are suffering, don't we? Usually it's, Lord, make this pain go away. Uh, Bring about healing. You know, I, I don't feel good. Whatever it might be. And for some of us, like me, if you don't like pain, just a little bit of pain can make me pray about suffering. For others, you're, you have a high pain tolerance, and, and it has to get pretty bad maybe for you to pray about suffering. Uh, but do you ever pray before you suffer? Do you ever pray, Lord, I know in this life I'm going to face difficulties. I'm going to face trials and tribulation and suffering. Lord, may I never turn my back on you. May I stay a strong Christian witness during that time? You've heard me share before, the Puritans would write, the Puritans back in the 1600s, there's been a resurgence of interest in the Puritans the last 50 or 60 years, starting with J.I. Packer and his book, Knowing God. But they, they would write about suffering well and dying well. That's part of our witness, is finishing well. It's, and the problem sometimes with what we might call the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel, if you just have enough faith, you're never gonna suffer. If you just have enough faith, God's gonna heal you. And if you're not healed, your faith is weak. The problem with that is it just doesn't translate across the world. It doesn't work with the Bible either, by the way. It doesn't work with the Bible at all. There is suffering in this life. And sometimes God even, well, for one, he allows or causes or permits all things. Sometimes he's even causing us to walk through that valley, knowing that we or those around us need it. Most all of us have children here. Many of you have grandchildren and even great-grandchildren. Do you pray for their suffering? Lord, they're going to face hard times. Keep them close to you. We don't like thinking about that, but it's a reality. It's a reality of of life in a fallen, depraved world. It's a reality of life in a self-absorbed world. Do we not live in a self-absorbed world? And... And, and, and as much as we can grapple with that reality, they, they, we don't, they, you know, if you go to other countries and certainly Africa, Iran, how, how do Christians live in Iraq, Pakistan, I, Iran, North Korea, China, um, 
Darfur, Liberia, Egypt, these countries where they are really suffering. Haiti, Dominican Republic, we can go to many different countries in many different areas and just think about how much suffering they face that many times we're unaware of. Meantime, I would argue their faith is stronger than ours. So in Philippians 4, 10 through 13, right before the verses we're getting into today, Paul talked about how he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. The all things is live on less, go through hunger. He can go through that suffering, that difficulty through Christ who strengthens him. He's been beaten with a cat of nine tails on several occasions. He's been shipwrecked on several occasions. He's right now chained to a Roman guard, even as he's writing it. How does he do that? How does he maintain the faith? Through Jesus who strengthens him. And we can do the same thing through Jesus who strengthens us. That puts this in context. And so now he's going to share how he is grateful for them. In the previous verses, Paul had minimized his dependence upon the church at Philippi. And there's a reason for that, which we don't understand. We do not understand the patron-client relationship. In other countries right now, they understand a little bit more. In the first century, they definitely did. There was a patron-client relationship. In other words, if somebody was supporting somebody else... They were a client, and the person supporting them was a patron, and you had to be loyal to them. So the church at Philippi had been supporting the Apostle Paul in his ministry. They donated to it. They gave to it. But Paul was very careful with how he worded this because they didn't own him. He didn't want it to look like a patron-client relationship where they could say, we support you, we own you, preach this way. In first, in, 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 in first and Second Corinthians, Paul shares he would not take money from the church at Corinth. Why would he not take support from the church at Corinth? Because they were divided, they were corrupt, they were messed up, and he did not want them to try to control him in a patron-client way. He needed to be free to preach the gospel, to, to follow what the Holy Spirit told him to write and to, and to preach and to teach and so on. But the church at Philippi was a healthier church. So he thought it was okay to take the money. But he was very careful. The Lord is the provider. And he was not, his message, the gospel message was not owned. So he, even if you look at this, he's careful. He's careful to say, I thank you for your support. And notice how he kind of says, and he it comes off a little wishy-washy for a moment, where he's kind of saying, of course, I didn't need the money, but you provided, and I thank you for that. When the, well, why is he saying it that way? Because he doesn't want it to, be get, con, to get confused with a patron-client relationship. He did not want them to get the wrong idea. So he had just said that the Lord provided for him and for them as well. And this is why verse 14 begins with yet. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. He had said that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Now he transitions with basically a yet word saying he's grateful for their concern. So let's look at these verses, verses 14 through 16. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. 
Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. They shared in his trouble. What kind of sharing? You know, I think we're going to find out in the next few verses. They're sharing in material needs. Some might be actual monetary, maybe some other ways. They're certainly sending messages back and forth with, the, with, the, with, the, with Barnabas and, and, and others, Timothy and others. They're sharing messages. They're encouraging. They're sharing. And he says this was uh, the beginning of his gospel ministry. He writes in the beginning of the gospel, and by which I think he means when he left the area of Macedonia, it was the beginning of a, of, a, of a new gospel ministry, so to speak. Macedonia was the broader region around Philippi, Thessalonica, and probably Berea. Not Berea up near Cleveland. I think that's where the Browns practice in preseason. But no, this is a different Berea. Maybe that Berea is named after this Berea. I don't know. One of you can look that up on Wikipedia or something. But Macedonia was a broader area. Think of like counties and, and states and regions, the broader area around that area. So he left that area, and the only church to partner in giving and receiving was the church at Philippi. This was a special church. A special church. Look at verse 16. Paul gets more specific. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. They sent gifts more than one time. This was a big deal. This was significant. Paul had preached in Thessalonica for a few months. And this was after he left Philippi. We can see that in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 and following. Their gifts sustained his ministry. And so next, in verses 17 and 18, we see Paul desires to see the fruit from the gift, which is a sacrifice to God from them. Paul desires to see the fruit, like the eternal spiritual fruit of the gift, and Paul envisions it as a sacrifice to God, like an Old Testament sacrifice, like an like an animal sacrifice to God. Their gift, their, their offerings, their, their gift was a sacrifice to God for them. We're gonna come back to this and I'm talking about giving. In 2018, we switched from passing the plate every single Sunday to boxes in the back. And uh, some of you liked that, some of you didn't. But even right now, some of you like what I'm wearing, some of you don't. Some of you like the temperature in the sanctuary, some of you don't. Some of you like everything, some of you don't, you know, we can't. And, and, and to tell you the truth, sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I wish we could pass a plate, you know, one Sunday and not the other. So, you know, feelings change. But what hopefully doesn't change is when we give to the Lord, whether you're putting an envelope in a box or whether you're on our website entering your offering. It's a sacrifice to the Lord. It's a gift to the Lord's work. And we can pray over that. And we can commit it to the Lord. Their gifts sustain Paul's ministry. Look at verses 17 and 18. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. That's powerful, the fruit that increases to your credit. It's like they're getting credit in heaven 
for that, which I think really is the case. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus that gives you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So now Paul is saying that it's not just about money for him. It's not just about money. He's well supplied. It's not just about money. He's not just seeking the money. He wants to see the fruit that goes to their credit before God. That is powerful. He knows that they have spiritual benefits for giving to the Lord's kingdom through the Apostle Paul's ministry. Do you realize that? Do you realize how profound that is, how powerful that is? That means that when we give to the Lord's ministry through Bethel Friends, if this is your home church, I have to say right now, it starts with your home church and then it can go to other different things, compassion and world vision and and Samaritan's person, all these other things. When you give to the Lord's ministry, you have spiritual benefits. You have it now, you have it eternally. That means the corollary is true. When you hold things tight-fisted and you say, no, 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 I'm not gonna do that. I wanna go to Starbucks tomorrow or and get burnt coffee, or, um, or Dunkin', <laughs> tell you my real feelings about Starbucks, or Dunkin', Dunkin', whatever, and those things are not wrong to go to. What's wrong is to hold, hold, hold things tight-fisted and to, go to, and to get all these other things while not giving the Lord's ministry. That means you don't receive the Lord's benefits. You don't receive the fruit that comes from the giving. You don't receive that benefit, which comes now in spiritual growth and comes eternally as well in heaven. We stand before the Lord and he says, and we complain to the Lord and we say, you know, my life was pretty sour that day. And the Lord's gonna say, well, it was sour because you were, hoard, you were hoarding the benefits I gave you. We'll come back to that in a minute. Paul is saying it's not just about money. There will be fruit from the gifts and that fruit is to their credit. Does it bother us if we think, if people think we are just after money? Do we also want to go to great lengths to show we are not after money? Paul's going to great lengths to show he's not just after money right here. John Piper shares, that love of giving is a credit. That love the the church at Philippi had for giving is a credit. Presumably an account or credit in heaven. It is a Greek word logon, which means word, but in this case means account. It means account. It's going to their spiritual account, so to speak. It's actually, that's actually what that Greek word can mean. They will be blessed in heaven for their giving. Do you realize that when we do not give, we are robbing God? Now I'm gonna spend about two or three more minutes on this. And I hope you give me a little bit of grace and latitude because I can count on probably like two times I've ever spent more than like three minutes in the worship service or sermon in six, almost six and a half years here talking about giving. And it's a biblical thing. Jesus talked about money a lot. And the Bible talks about money a lot. And it's something that's important to talk about because we will be judged a little bit based on this. We can see this here. We can see it in Matthew 25. We can see it in many other places. So give me a little grace if you don't like talking about money. Do you realize when we are blessed in heaven that we are blessed in heaven when we give to the Lord's ministries? And we do not give, we are robbing God. Going back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 13, we see the tithe, which is 10% established for giving. 
In the Old Testament, the Israelites had several tithes to the temple and the community, and they added up to 23 and a third percent. So when we think the Old Testament people, the people in Hebrew times were only giving 10%, no, no, no. They were not only giving 10%, they were giving about 23 and a third percent. When you add up and all the different tithes, they were giving about 23 and a third percent. But some of that were their local tax system, basically. It was their government type system. So, so there were other things going on. In Malachi, God rebuked a people for not giving. You can look that up in Malachi chapter three, verses eight through 10. God owns everything. And we hold it tight-fisted. We are robbing him because he owns it to begin with. He already owns it. God allows us to keep a certain amount to live on. And that's different for different people. God may tell you, you get to keep 50% because he's blessed you abundantly and you're debt-free and whatever, and you should be giving 50% to his kingdom. God may tell somebody else, you get to keep uh, 90%. You need 90% to pay your bills. Some of you aren't giving at all, and maybe he's gonna challenge you today to start trying to give 1% or 2% of your income to the Lord's work, to the ministry, because I can tell you this is true of Bethel, friends, it's true of most churches across the United States of America. We are... We are um, supported by very few people. And actually, here's the funny thing. This is a startling thing. If you look in poor areas, people who do not have as much statistically give more to the church. How is that? People with lower incomes and come from poor areas and in poverty give more to the church usually. God owns everything we have. He owns it. He calls us to sacrifice and give to his kingdom. And now, here's an interesting thing. In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, Paul addressed giving. And in chapter 8, verse 15, he said, As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now, this is a reference to Exodus 16, verse 18. Now, what's the situation there? Because you should never rip a verse out of context. In Exodus 16, the people, the Israelites, were traveling through the wilderness, and God was supporting them with quail and with manna. And God told them, you can have a set amount And guess what happened? If they collected more, if they thought, well, there's more available, I'm going to get more. What happened? It spoiled. And Paul is making an application in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 that if we hoard our resources that God blesses us with, it will it'll spoil our life. It will spoil our life. So the church at Philippi had invested in the Lord's ministry through Paul. And Paul says there will be fruit and they will be blessed in heaven. They'll be, they'll be blessed in heaven. It, it's, it's, it's a difference between immediate gratification and long-term gratification. Some of us are always, always living in immediate gratification. I want this, I want it now. So I'm not gonna invest in the Lord's work at a church. I'm also not gonna invest in retirement, life insurance, things like that. Others of us, we're investing all of our money or a bulk of it in retirement. That's a good thing. I'm big into retirement, I believe that. But we're not investing in other avenues of the Lord's work or other ways of the Lord's work. And you don't know, the Lord is demanding your soul tomorrow. You won't even get to retirement. So you don't have the blessings in heaven of what the Lord calls you to give. So Paul is saying at the church at Philippi right here, They're going to have blessings in heaven. This is such a powerful point. And that's why I'm driving it home. It's such a powerful point about when we give to the Lord's work, 
He doesn't forget. He doesn't forget. You may sacrifice that $5 and now it's probably like $50 now. Coffee at Starbucks now. You may, and I don't mean to make a lot of that. You may, you may actually have to make real sacrifices. And you really have to pray and discern this. We all do. We really do. But you'll be blessed in heaven when you give to the Lord's work. We'll experience the blessing. Somebody says, stealing from God is like robbing the local police station. Not a good idea. John MacArthur shares that Philippians were in effect storing up for themselves treasures in heaven. See Matthew 6.20. The gifts they gave to Paul were accruing eternal dividends to their spiritual account. So are we like the Philippians investing in the Lord's kingdom at Bethel, friends? Look at verse 18. Paul says that he has received their gift in full. Paul says he is well supplied. They sent their gifts through Epaphroditus and he has received them. He compares their gifts to an offering. It is acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. Paul is gushing with thanks, but also how important their offering is to God. I like how John Piper builds on this. He writes, Paul now returns to his high praise of them. He, he has now received everything he needs. He is well supplied. Their offering is a fragrant offering. There's one other time that that is used. It's in Ephesians chapter five, verse two. Paul compares their offering to Christ's sacrifice. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, they had sacrifices and they talked about the aroma, the fragrance going up to the Lord in heaven. Paul compares their gifts their support of his ministry to an offering to the Lord. Sometimes we think that nothing can please God, but Jesus' sacrifice, not our works. That's not true. Paul says their gifts supporting his ministry please the Lord. When we support ministries, and when we serve in ministries, serving at Friends Club or Celebrate Recovery or Youth Ministries or Seniors Ministries, which we hope to get started here next year, and other various ministries, or maybe at a local food bank or Operation Christmas Child, it pleases the Lord. That's an awesome thing. Let's make some applications. I know you're thinking. You've been making applications. Yeah. Let's just summarize as we apply a little more. Do we partner with missionaries to give and support them? Are we partnering with Bethel Friends? Are you partnering with Bethel Friends in your giving? I would challenge you right now. Some of you give faithfully and you give a whole, you're, you're already giving. Thank you. If you don't, I would challenge you to think about that, pray about that. We're supported by very few people and it's a different day and age now where you're not raised to learn to give to the Lord's work. They partnered with Paul. Do we realize that if they did not partner, it is possible we would never have received the gospel. The gospel was propelled forward because they partnered with Paul. Now, that was the Lord's grace, the Lord's plan, the Lord's providence. People were saved because the church at Philippi partnered with him. When we invest in the Lord's kingdom, just like these shoeboxes up here, people benefit Locally and all over the world, I believe God has awesome plans for Bethel Friends. There's so many ministries I want to see started. Uh, uh, you know, I want to see Celebrate Recovery grow, which is just on bare bones right now. I would love to see special needs ministries. I would love to see the seniors ministry. I'm praying about that like daily. I would love to see uh, many other ministries, small groups, many other things. But it takes people investing their time, their talent, their energy. 
They sent gifts multiple times to support him at Thessalonica. It wasn't just a one-time thing. When we give to the Lord's work, we will be blessed in heaven. That's a powerful truth. I want to share something a little different as we close. I shared this in Sunday school, but I think it matters right now too. There's a guy about 100 years ago, no, actually more like 200, I think. His name was Thomas Henry Huxley. He was a devoted disciple of Darwin. He was a famous biologist. He was a teacher and author. He was a defender of the theory of evolution. He was bold. He was convincing. He was also a self-avowed humanist in traveling lecture. And we say humanist here, he was against Christianity and he was against Christ, okay? And he was a traveling lecturer. And after another series of public assaults against truths, which Christians held sacred, he got into his um, famous, his uh, horse-drawn carriage, horse-drawn taxi, and he was in Dublin. And he settled back with his eyes closed to rest for a few minutes. And he, he assumed the driver had been told the destination by the hotel doorman. So all he said was, hurry, I'm late, drive fast. Hurry, I'm almost late, actually, drive fast. The horses lurched forward and galloped across Dublin at a vigorous pace. Before long, Huxley glanced out the little window and frowned as he realized they were going west, away from the sun, not toward it. Leaning forward, the scholar shouted, do you know where you're going? Without looking back, the driver yelled a classic line, not meant to be humorous. No, your honor, but I'm driving very fast. He never told him where they need to go. So as we wrap this up for today, do we know where we're going? Are we pursuing Jesus? Are we staying close to Jesus? And the last uh, four or five months, I've increased my running distance a lot, more than I've ever ran. And I track it on two different GPS apps. One is Map My Run. You maybe you've heard of it. It's pretty popular. And then one is just the Apple Fitness app. The funny thing that really, really, really annoys me is oftentimes they're off by a tenth of a mile or so. Now, they're, they're only off by like a hundredth of a mile when you're going one mile or two. But when you go like 22 miles, as I have ran, it's off by like uh, half a mile. No, no not half two-tenths or three-tenths of a mile, which really, really bothers me. Like, which one's right? My brother and I were at a, a conference at Moody Bible Institute a few years ago, and we both ran just like two or three miles. And we were arguing over our GPS running apps afterwards, which one's more accurate. And then we zoomed in on the map, and it's like, this map has me in the Chicago River, and I know I wasn't running in the Chicago River. And so sometimes they're accurate, but the buildings, we realize the buildings in Chicago, the tall buildings, were throwing it off. Now, why do I share that about GPS apps? I just want to remind us all, God is our GPS. We have God and his word to guide us. And we might have a faulty, a faulty GPS running app, although it's pretty accurate, you know, even, at, even if it's off just a couple tenths and 20 miles, it's not that bad. But that might be off just a little bit. God's word is never off. The Holy Spirit that... We are baptized with when we become a Christian. The Holy Spirit's never off. 
we have powerful blessings. And we as Christians, we can know where we're going. Unlike that taxi driver with the horse-drawn carriage, we can know where we're going by spending time with the Lord. How are your daily devotions? I've talked about giving. You know, giving must begin with our daily prayer time. Are you spending time with the Lord throughout the week? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you spending time in the Bible, letting God's word teach you and speak to you? Are you, are you meeting with a prayer partner from the church or a small, close group of strong Christian friends where you can sharpen each other? These are individual spiritual disciplines, and then there's corporate spiritual disciplines, which are uh, small groups and prayer partner groups and others. We need both. We need both. I would argue you can't grow in Christ without. Are you living in unrepentant sin? Our sin is high treason against God. And it's more deadly than COVID-19. It's more deadly than that car accident that could happen. It's more deadly than anything else. And we're living in unrepentant sin. Some would argue based off 1 Corinthians 11, I could show it to you later. God may actually take you from this earth quickly. Paul says, many of you have fallen asleep, which is a euphemism for death, because you were living in unrepentant sin. These are spiritual activities that help us know where we're going, help us stay close to God, who is the ultimate, perfect GPS for our life, the perfect director of our life. And we need to stay in tune with him. And we, when we stay in tune with him, we can be like, get this, I don't do music, I can't clap and beat, and when we sang happy birthday earlier, I muted my microphone for all of our benefit. I don't do it. But a trained musician can notice a difference between different instruments listening to things. They can notice a difference. They can notice. Elaine could probably come up and notice if the piano is out of key or somebody's off key. They can know. When we stay close to Jesus, our ultimate GPS, we know automatically false truth versus real truth. And sometimes, many times, we can be so close to him as we grow. We know exactly what he wants to do in, a, in any given situation. Sometimes we have to go to prayer and fasting and things like that, but oftentimes it's a gut level check. Nope, God's called me to do that. I know, because I'm close to him, because I spent time with him this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this encouraging message from Philippians, where we see, we see right here the Apostle Paul's gratitude for the Philippians, but we also see, we also see this the church at Philippi, they were going to have, and they have since, because this was almost 2,000 years ago, or they have since reaped the spiritual rewards of partnering with Paul's ministry. Oh, Lord God, we thank you that as Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10 says, you do not forget the good works that we do for you. You remember them. And you own everything. And Lord, I would imagine the church at Philippi, they watch closely with you. And that's why they supported Paul's ministry. Lord, all of us gathered here at different places spiritually. Help us walking close with you. Leaning on you, our ultimate GPS. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. This week, uh...